We have to start being aware. Being aware, and by, by that I mean, in, just be aware of what God is doing. I, I've said this in some way in every sermon in this series, but I think that that's, this is one of the central themes of the whole Advent story is God told you what he's gonna do. Live expecting that he could do it at any moment because someday he will. Hey, welcome to the High Point of the Week. My name is Zach Hillegas, I'm your host. This week is week three of our sermon series, Scandalous, the sermon series that we've started for Christmas. And this week, Pastor Jack is going to be talking about the scandal of the government. He's going to be reading all of Matthew chapter two this week, and he'll be doing that himself right off the front end of his sermon. So without further ado, I'll leave you in the capable hands of Pastor Jack, and I will see you after the sermon. I'm going to read the, now what you're going to be able to follow along with me this morning on the screen is the first six verses, but as, we were, as I was sitting out there this morning and, and worshiping with you, I felt compelled to, to really read the whole chapter, and that's, that's a lot of verses, so if you've got your Bibles, you can follow along. If not, just listen to me as I read, but I'm not going to stop where I had intended to. I feel like it would be important for us to hear this whole chapter. So starting at verse 1 in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is this one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Now when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. And he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law and asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for this child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed, and on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take this child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for this child to kill him. And so he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and he left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled the word, what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I've called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all of the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And then what was uh, said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel is weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. 
After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up and take your child and his mother and go back to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. And so he got up and took his child and the mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judah in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophet he will be called a Nazarene. Now they started before Thanksgiving this year. You hear them everywhere. They're on every radio station. They saturate social media. You can't turn on your television without hearing them. They're on, in every department store. And I know I sound like the Grinch when I say this, but they are everywhere. Political ads. <laughs> Political ads are everywhere. They've already started. The election is nearly a year away, but the campaigning has already begun. And nothing says Merry Christmas like a presidential campaign. And I thought, well, we're in this series that we've called Scandalous, so how can you not talk about politics? Matthew writes, this all happened during the time of King Herod. Now that's a critical context for us to understand the story. Herod was made Israel's king because his daddy greased palms in Rome. This was quid pro quo at its best or its worst. The Romans allowed Herod to do pretty much whatever he wanted to do in Jerusalem as long as he collected the taxes and got them to the capital city on time. After that, they didn't care. As long as Herod did that, he was free to govern however he felt he wanted to, and he did. And Herod accomplished some great things in the city of Jerusalem. He, he expanded the temple. He created an aqueduct system for the city of Jerusalem. He built fortress cities. He accomplished a lot of great public works. But secretly, he also spied on the citizens. He compromised all of the religion of Jerusalem. He schemed against his political opponents and had most of them killed when he felt like they were a threat. He was a corrupt politician. King's Herod, King Herod's time was a time of of sinful, wicked, scandal-ridden government. Now, I know it's hard for you to relate to that, but let's try, okay? Let's all try and get in the mood of what's happening here in the second chapter of Matthew. We're celebrating Christmas in another season of DC scandals, which makes me wanna share a theoretical situation with you. If Donald Trump and Joe Biden and Cory Booker and Bernie Sanders and Pete Butterbread and Elizabeth Warren are trapped in a burning building, who gets saved? America. <laughs> you have to laugh or you'd cry. And we'd rather not talk about it, especially not in church. In fact, some people think it's inappropriate for us to talk about these things in church. Some Christians say, I just don't think politics has a place in the pulpit. Now these remarks are often delivered with a veneer of piousness that implies that political engagement involves an arena that's unfit for the gospel, especially at Christmas time. But folks, the gospel, especially the Christmas story, is very political. It's a very political story. Matthew writes of wise men who were searching for the Messiah because they saw a star. Now, now think about this. God got their attention in Persia, guided them from Persia all the way to Israel with a star, using that star like a GPS. Got them from Persia 
to Israel. Now, don't you think that God who could guide them across all of that distance could have used the same star to take them straight to Bethlehem, right to Mary and Joseph's front door, no problem. But instead, you have to ask yourself, why the detour to Jerusalem? Why does God let them march right up to Herod's palace? Why does that happen? God didn't send them there to get directions. He sent them to the palace to make a declaration. A declaration to Herod and every king and every queen and every emperor and every prime minister and every president from here on out. The king is born. The real king has been born. God's king and he shall reign forever and ever. This is not a coincidence. And so the Christmas message, the gospel, is always political. The gospel affects every area of our lives. It belongs in the palace, it belongs in the White House, it belongs in the Supreme Courthouse, because the gospel is always saying the same thing. Jesus is king. This is the message of the gospel. Now, we've learned Advent challenges our ideas of how God works in history and who God works through. We saw that in the family tree of Jesus. And then last week when we heard God call Mary to bear a child, Um, We learn that God challenges our personal comfort and he challenges the expectations that we have about how he works in our lives. But this encounter between these pagan priests from Persia and the corrupt king of Israel forces us to deal with a whole new set of issues because it confronts us with a reality. And the first one is this, the reality of the atmosphere that we live in. That's what these first six verses are about. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, the Magi show up and they ask the question, Where is he that's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we followed here and we've followed it here. We've come here so that we may worship him. Now, the the atmosphere that we live in, we've had some pretty good weather here in central Florida over the last couple of weeks. I have really, really enjoyed it. And the question has been, what made it so great? What's made the weather so great? Was it the sunshine? Well, we get sunshine all the time in Florida. That's not what made the difference. What about the temperature? Well, it's been a little bit better, but we've still had some days in December, for crying out loud, what was up around 90 degrees. So what was the difference? What changed? Humidity. Humidity has changed. Now, humidity is that, is that moist hug you get every morning in Florida when you walk out the front door. It's, it, it's invisible, but its effects are real. Humidity makes hot hotter and cold colder, amen? And people from Florida live with this reality in the atmosphere all of the time. It it can make you miserable. And I tell you that to tell you that the biblical word for humidity is world. World. It's the atmosphere that we all as believers live in, the world. The word in the New Testament when it's used is not talking about the planet that we live on, but the atmosphere that we live in. I'm gonna give you one example, 1 John chapter two. John says, do not love the world nor the things of the world, for the things of the world, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all of these things are passing away. The atmosphere that we live in, in this world is one of lust, one of pride, one of short-sightedness, and those are just the characteristics that John gives us in one verse, and it's addressed over and over again. It's described as one of the three great enemies we face, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is one of the great enemies of the faith that we deal with, and it's addressing the atmosphere. Now, Matthew doesn't give direct warnings or list specific characteristics. Instead, he tells us something that happened in history that describes how the atmosphere works. And again, not all of it, but just two characteristics that I think are important for us. Two characteristics of Herod's days that are still active in the atmosphere in our country today. 
First of all, it's political corruption. Again, this happened during the time of Herod, a paranoid, punitive, corrupt king, a puppet king. Jesus was born during a time of political corruption, and it's nothing new, and it highlights a couple of things that we all better remember about any form of government, any form of government. Number one, government is corrupt because government is run by human beings. Government is corrupt because it's human, and anywhere there is government, there will be corruption. I'm not getting any amen, so I'm gonna say it again for myself. Anywhere that there is government, there will be corruption because every king, every president, senator, representative, and justice is a human being, and human beings are messed up. I know because I am one. At one time, Israel, you guys read your Old Testament, at one time, Israel was governed by judges, and that system started to break down because in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the Bible says that Samuel's sons turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and began to pervert justice. So how did Israel respond to the breakdown in that governmental system? They started insisting on a new form of government. They said, give us a king like all of the other nations around us. It's working for them, so let's have a king, a new form of government so God let him have it but look at what God says in first Samuel chapter 8 when he says I'm going to give you your king he says this is what the king who reigns over you will claim and you just read the next in the next five verses five times he says he will take from you he will take from you he will take from you can I get an amen he will take from you God says the king will take and take and take, and we would do well to remember that whenever a government promises to give you something with one hand, it's taking something from you with the other hand. But the larger lesson is this. Anytime you think that changing a government is gonna bring about some social utopia, you're probably ushering in a nightmare. When we think socialism is the answer, or imperialism is the answer. And yes, when you think capitalism is the answer, you're placing faith in and giving authority to a human government and setting yourself up for the kind of things the people in Bethlehem were about to experience when their king sent the soldiers to their neighborhood to kill all their children. All governments are corrupt because all governments are human. Here's another thing though you'd better follow away. We need government because we're human. Because humans are messed up, we'd better have some form of government. The New Testament is clear. God ordains government to promote good and to restrain evil. And Paul urges us in 1 Timothy chapter two, pray for kings and for all of those who are in positions of authority and pray for them so that you might lead a quiet and peaceful life. I, I sometimes read that and think Paul's saying the best thing you can hope for is, is that they'll leave you alone. Pray that we could lead a quiet and peaceful life. When government functions the way that it should, it can encourage good things and it can restrain wicked things. Martin Luther King Jr. was one time accused of trying to legislate righteousness and he said, you know what? The law can't make another man love me, but the law can keep someone from lynching me and that's pretty important, isn't it? So Christians should work in legitimate ways with government for these purposes, restraining evil, and promoting good. Let me show you why I think it's important. Matthew says that when these wise men showed up and said, where is he who's born king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. Matthew says, Herod was disturbed and all of Jerusalem was disturbed with him. Whatever disturbs the king ends up disturbing everybody else. 
If a politician gets disturbed, they have the power to cause everybody else to be disturbed. If Washington, D.C. sneezes, Polk County's going to get a cold, folks. Anything that disturbs the capital is going to disturb the suburbs. Jesus told us as Christians, be the salt of the earth. And the primary purpose of salt was to be a preservative, to counteract and slow the corruption and the rot that is normal and natural in culture, and especially in the political arena. Christians have worked throughout the centuries through government to stop the murder of unwanted children, to end the gladiator games in Rome, to outlaw child sacrifice, to outlaw pedophilia, to outlaw polygamy. At other times, the church has led the charge to abolish slavery and to end segregation. And we should pray and preach and act through the government for the promotion of causes that are consonant with the kingdom purpose on this earth. And that truth highlights the second atmospheric issue that we face today, spiritual apathy. Spiritual apathy. Think about this. Think about this. The Messiah has come. The hope of their nation. The one thing that every Sabbath day in the synagogue they heard about and prayed for and preached about They'd been waiting for this promise for centuries, and he has arrived, and God has has to get magi from a pagan nation of Persia to make the announcement and get anyone in the capital city to notice what he's doing. God can get the attention of pagans before he can get the attention of his own priests and people. And then when the magi ask about Jesus, nobody in the palace even knows what they're talking about. What do you mean? Where is this? They have to call for the priest to look up the prophecy from Micah. In verse five it says, this is what is written by the prophet. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, though you are are no means uh, least among the rulers of Judah, out of you will come the king. This has been in the book of Micah for generations, but nobody in the palace even knows it. Now this prophecy, this promise from the book of Micah has come true and no one sees it. It's sad, it is sad when people show up looking for Jesus in a place they should find him, and we're so ignorant of God's word, we can't even tell them how to find the king they're looking for. God one time said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. This lack of sensitivity to how God is moving and this lack of knowledge of God's word, but, but it doesn't stop there. The priests give the answer. When Herod summons them into the capital, the priests give them the answer, chapter and verse, immediately. But when they hear that it might actually be happening, that it might have actually be happening in the neighborhood of Bethlehem, which is not far away from them, he might really be in their midst, they didn't even bother to go to Jerusalem themselves to check it out. Or ask if they might ride along with the Magi. Hey, if you guys are going, can I hit your ride? I'd like to see if this is true. Nobody even bothers. They're too busy. They didn't live their lives expecting that things that are written in the Bible that they say they believed might actually start happening right in front of their eyes. It is sad when we're in an atmosphere where religious people, people who grew up going to church every Sunday of their lives and understand what the Bible teach and probably were taught it when they were kids and and teach what the Bible teaches them about how they should live and how they should use their money and how they should behave themselves sexually and what they should expect God to be doing in their world. And they know it and they say they believe it, but they never ever let their faith interrupt their daily lives. They never let it bother to change their schedule. When religious people are that indifferent to the faith, corruption grows. So this story scandalizes us because when we see and when we complain about corruption 
at any level of our society. It forces us to consider what indifference to truth and obedience am I, will, am I allowing to exist in my own life? How have I become lukewarm? What am I refusing to do? What am I not, not excited about that I should be excited about? What am I not paying attention to that I should be paying attention to? When will I take responsibility for myself? When will I decide to make being closer to Christ the priority of my life? When will I care enough to get involved in promoting his purposes in my world, even in the government, if that's where the Lord calls me to be? But as we answer those questions, I think, you better be prepared then to, to wrestle with the next set of challenges this story makes us aware of, and, and that is the dangers that we face if we choose to be involved in especially this arena of life. If we take seriously the idea that we're living in the middle of a corrupt world, especially a corrupt political world, in an atmosphere like that, and we have a responsibility as the church and as God's people to somehow find a way to exert influence, for good in that culture, then we have to stop and seriously weigh the dangers that are going to be involved for us. Scripture contains warnings like, be sober, be vigilant, be on your guard. You can get into trouble because it's so easy for us to get trapped and to make huge mistakes even when we may have the appropriate motive and noble desires for wanting to serve God. This is especially true when it comes to dealing with politics. And again, there are a multitude of dangers, but I wanna highlight the two that I think arise out of this story here in Matthew chapter two. One is tied to when we do decide to get engaged and the other is tied to when we refuse to get engaged. So let's start here. The first danger we have to avoid as God's people is the danger of being manipulated by the system, the danger of manipulation. Verse seven says, Herod calls the Magi secretly and he finds out from them the exact time the star has appeared and then he sends them to Bethlehem and he says, go and search carefully for this child and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him too. So the Magi are excited. They get engaged, they follow God's guidance, they follow him right into the halls of power and they make this fearless declaration to the king. The king of the Jews has been born in Bethlehem and they are all in, they are all in. These guys are activists with pure motives who think that, the, the on, that, that it is only right that the gospel be preached to the king in the halls of power. So look at Herod's first move when he hears the message. Herod calls them into a meeting secretly. Now, that's an important word, secretly, because that is how most politicking gets done, secretly, behind closed doors, and it looks good this secret meeting that he has. Can you imagine the excitement? They had formed this religious pack and they called it Star Trackers and the goal was to spread the good news of the gospel and they raised funds, gold, frankincense and myrrh and they planned a rally in the capital city and it worked. They got Herod's attention and he called him to a private meeting and he asked them questions about the Messiah. He really cares. He really wants to help. He isn't so bad. I'll tell you what, we're gonna get bumper stickers that just say Herod and put it on our camels. We're gonna start telling everyone that if they really love the Messiah, they would make sure Herod gets reelected. He may not be perfect, but he cares about what we care about. Y'all go ahead and get mad at me. I'm <laughs> Now folks, I'm just gonna say this and let you get mad whenever any politician starts acting like they're really interested in Jesus and the kingdom, you'd better be careful. 
It should always concern us when we see religious leaders getting too cozy with politicians. Whether the politician is a Democrat or Republican, whether they're telling us that they care about unborn children or poverty, whether they're telling us that it's about traditional family values or compassion for the inner city, politicians are better at politics than preachers are. We can start out trying to influence them, but can it, it can turn out to them using us. And this is the first danger that we have to be aware of if we get involved. We don't speak for, we don't exist to promote any political party. We exist to serve the Messiah, the King of Kings. But there's another danger, and this is the danger that comes if we don't get involved, and that is that eventually it devolves into persecution. Herod finds out that he's been outwitted, and so he, um, when he realizes that, he's furious, and he gives orders, kill every boy in Bethlehem and its vicinity that's two years of age and under, and they do it ruthlessly. God warns these magi uh, to get away from this entanglement, this manipulation, and the problem is when these people who care enough to get involved leave and return to Persia, when they leave, the only person who seemed to be interested in what the king was doing are gone, and Israel is left with this disinterested religious group and a reprobate king, and the results are tragic. And folks, I will tell you, it is inevitable. History shows us repeatedly that when we refused as, refuse as God's people to be involved in speaking truth to power, evil will grow. What is, in, it, what is in reality unthinkable, things that we thought would never happen, things we thought that our government could never do, like murdering children, happens. Babies are murdered, families are shattered, communities are decimated, and the most defenseless among us are the ones that will be left in the street. So it seems that we're in a no-win no situation. There's a danger for us if we get too closely allied to the political process, but there's danger if we don't. If we jump in, we get co-opted. If we stay out, we get persecuted. So how do we deal with this? How do we behave ourselves as the children of God? And I think that the story gives us at least a few answers that could get us started down the right path. So let me share these with you. The response of faith. As I read through this story several times this last week, I kept asking God, Lord, we know that we have a responsibility. We know that you want us to be involved. And, 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 and we've struggled with how do we do this right? And so, Lord, what can we do? How did you help them? And how, how can you help us navigate this, this atmosphere and represent your kingdom well in a time like this? What will it take? And so these may sound simplistic, but I'm telling you, I think they're powerful. And the first thing I would tell you is, folks, we just start having to be, we have to start being aware being aware, and by, by that I mean, in, just be aware of what God is doing. I, I've said this in some way in every sermon in this series, but I think that that's, this is one of the central themes of the whole Advent story is God told you what he's gonna do. Live expecting that he could do it at any moment because someday he will. Be aware of it. Keep your eyes open. We need to be people who live every day looking for and expecting that any time we might spot God at work in our world. The Magi saw the star and they responded with the Lord's leading as an, and as a result they saw the Messiah. And the, the problem is we usually miss the signs because we're too busy staring at our cell phones. We're too busy reading the latest political post to see what the king is doing in the world. We miss kingdom opportunities that God would like to guide us to. Conversations he wants you to have, gifts he wants you to give. Opportunities are all around you, the king has come. 
The kingdom of God is among you right now. The king is active. There's nothing Washington can do to stop the king from acting. The king is active. Keep your eyes open for him. Look every day for some opportunity to worship the king. Here's another one. Live with confidence. Just live with confidence. Do you really think Herod is in charge? He may be the king of Israel, but he has to call in some priests and confer with some magi to even figure out what's happening in his own suburbs. God guides the magi from Persia with a star. God informs the priest with the word. God warns the magi with the dream. God rescues Joseph with an angel. Every star in the universe, every thought in our mind, every stroke of every pen, and every angel in heaven is at God's disposal. And he will always, always be one step ahead of every wicked plan of the enemy. No weapon that is formed against us shall prosper. His kingdom will come. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there is no human prince, pope, politician, or prime minister that can stop that from happening. Let me give you another one. Be informed and engaged. Be informed about the word most importantly. Be informed and engaged. Start learning what the scripture says. I love how often this this phrase pops up, so that it might be fulfilled. Five different times, so that it might be fulfilled. So that it might be fulfilled what was written in Micah and in Jeremiah. Everything that happened is a fulfillment of prophecy. Matthew is telling us we don't live in a random universe. God has made a promise in his word and he will keep the promises in his word. So the more we learn God's word, the more familiar we are with God's promises, the more prepared we are to engage with great confidence in this world. The more we understand God's agenda, the less likely we are to get co-opted into some Democrat or Republican agenda. The more we understand God's purposes, the less likely that is to happen. So know the scriptures. Learn what the scriptures teach and promise and you'll be less frightened and more effective if God ever does call you to get involved in this arena. Get into groups where the word is taught. Grow in your understanding. And let me give you one more. Keep on witnessing. Never shut up. Never let anyone stop you from talking about the king that has been born. Never stop witnessing. Keep on saying it. Keep on preaching it. Keep on proclaiming it. You folks are still living in the United States of America. You can talk about Jesus anywhere you want to. And nobody can stop you from doing that. So take advantage of the time that we have. Who knows when things are going to change. But for right now, we ought to all of us with boldness say, the king has been born. Keep talking about Jesus. And by the way, you might just want to throw this out there if you got the guts. The king has been born, and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. (laughs) By the way, that's the kingdom agenda. That's the kingdom agenda. Paul told it to us this way, and I'm going to leave you with this, folks. I urge you that prayers and petitions and intercession be made for all kings and for all people in authority. Okay, Paul, well, what are we praying? Why should we pray? So the Republicans will win next year? No. So the Democrats will win next year? Absolutely not. What are we praying about? Listen, Trump's agenda is not the kingdom agenda. 
And the agenda, certainly not on the other side of the aisle. I, I, again, folks, you can vote whenever you, way you want to, but nobody in Washington owns the king. That's not the kingdom agenda. So what is the kingdom agenda? What drives us? What's the most important thing? Why does Paul tell us to pray for the people that rule over us? He says, this is good and pleasing to God our Savior. Listen, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the kingdom agenda. God's agenda is the salvation of souls. The king came to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. The kingdom's agenda is your heart and your salvation. Now, I don't know whether anyone in Washington thinks you're that important, but folks, if you walked in here today, no matter what, what uh, uh, part of life you came from, you need to know that the Christmas story is all about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who thought you were important enough to die for who thought you were important enough to lay aside everything that was rightfully his and come here and live among us and die on a cross so that you could be forgiven. That's the kingdom agenda. You're the kingdom agenda. And if you're sitting here this morning and you've never received that gift, you're missing the whole point. But the good news is the king is here, ready to save you today. Jesus during his ministry used to talk a lot about the kingdom of God. And one facet of the kingdom of God is that it's obviously been placed above the kingdoms of men. Sometimes when we see what's happening in the world politically and the rifts between nations and peoples, it's easy for us to get swept up into this pessimistic attitude about the world. But then if you remember that ultimately God is the one in control, and he is the perfect king, and all of his plans are going to come to pass, and there's nothing that any prince or king on earth can do to stop it. It brings a certain amount of peace. Not only that, but God's kingdom, as Pastor Jack said, its agenda is to seek and save people. And I hope that you get to experience that. If you're curious about what that entails, and you just want to talk to somebody about what that means, you can reach out to us at highpointlw.com. You can find us on Facebook at High Point Church or on Instagram at highpointlw as well. Or you can reach out to a local church in your area, and I'm sure they would love to talk to you about it. If for some reason you'd like to get in touch with me directly, you can find me on Facebook. I'm Zach Hilligas. Or you can find me as well on Instagram at ZachThePoet. I hope you enjoyed this week's sermon, and I hope you'll tune in for the next episode of The High Point of the Week.